Welcome back, Sparks in Action listeners. This is Donna. Today's guest comes straight from Tel Aviv. Today's guest is Nakshon Ben. Nakshon was born and raised in Philadelphia, and he made Aliyah, meaning he moved and became a citizen uh, of Israel in 2007, and he served in the IDF as a lone soldier. He is a communications and product professional living in Tel Aviv, working as a UX, I think that means user, yeah, user experience researcher at a high-tech company. For nearly a decade, Nakshon was a local journalist for a nonprofit that pioneered accurate reporting on Israel and the Middle East. Nakshon is a passionate he is passionate and active in being part of and sharing Israel's story, combating and exposing corruption and anti-Semitism in communications and media. Welcome, Nakshon. Thank you for being here. Shabbat shalom. It's good to be here. <laughs> so let's start, if you if you can, with just the current experience of living and working in Tel Aviv and being a citizen since October 7th? Well, I'd say the whole country is kind of at a, a stall point. M many people are uh, traumatized and terrified, but at the same time, resilient and very united. So, you know, there's over 220 hostages. Uh, some of the families have no update. Uh, everyone knows someone who has been killed or uh, abducted or missing. There's even people who they still don't know what the status is of them. So on one hand, there's this kind of pause in, in the day-to-day, -day, um, but also the unity is sort of, you see it everywhere. So I live in Tel Aviv. Uh, we get, you know, a few rocket attacks a, a day. Today we had three. Uh, we only had maybe one or two days where there weren't any rocket attacks. Um, but if you walk around Tel Aviv, you'll see... Some things are opened, many things are closed, and you'll just see most restaurants and just tons of points where people are volunteering and packaging food for soldiers. Um, Tel Aviv's, you know, has Disney Golf Center, which is a huge mall. It's been turned into a place to bring donations. So on one hand, a lot of sorrow and dismay and terror, but on the other hand, optimism and unity, um, which is, you know, bittersweet. Uh, right, the reality of Israel that people uh, will come together when needed, um, but it's unfortunately under grave times in this case and in many cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, just to go a little personal before we move on into other subjects, how are you doing? I mean, do you do you have a bomb shelter in the basement of your building? How do you take care of yourself in this? Yeah, it's funny. I was I was joking around with a friend saying, you know, some of the richest uh, people I know, <laughs> AKA sea uh, levels in, in high-tech companies are staying with friends because they don't have safe rooms. So uh, a lot of the buildings in Tel Aviv and around the country are old. So my building doesn't have a safe room. So there's bunkers, which are kind of rooms in the basement that are somewhat safe, but very old. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a very strange phenomenon that people have to leave their homes, especially people with kids because they need to be in safe rooms, especially after we see what Hamas does to people in their safe rooms. Um, so when there's sirens, for instance, uh, we stand in the hallway and uh, I actually have buddied up with one of my neighbors 
She's 93 from Libya originally. Uh, obviously it takes her a very long time to move. So each time there's a siren, I go and, and I'm knocking on her door. She often doesn't hear uh, the sirens and then kind of helping her out um, and standing in the hallway, which is actually more dangerous because you need to go lower, um, yeah. but you know, we gotta have each other's backs. Uh, so things can be definitely like very, very quiet at times. And that's always very worrying, but you always are hearing uh, helicopters and drones in the skies and, you know, uh, just because there's sirens doesn't mean that's when the booms happen. Oftentimes you can see explosions from the iron dome in the sky or hear explosions without the sirens. Yeah. Or you can hear the sirens in another city and you kind of wait, right? Um, but yeah, that, in that sense, it's it's kind of, that's a big pain here in Israel that a lot of people don't have safe rooms or uh, proper shelters, um, which, you know, if you're older or have kids, time is everything uh, in those moments, so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Something that, you know, us here in the States just really have no clue what living with that kind of reality is. And, and, um, two things. One is I love that you're helping watch out for your 93 year old neighbor who is, you know, a little weaker and ostensibly can't hear. Um, uh, so, um, so let's, I'd like to move now into, you have a really interesting background, a really interesting relationship with Israel and um, your journalism background, your work, you know, your, your training with some IDF as well as your work in high tech. I feel like you have a foot in a lot of little, a lot of not little, a lot of areas in the culture. I would like to ask you, what would you not show what would you like people who might know very little about Israel and who might think of Israel and what's happening now as their problem in their little corner of the world? Um, I would like you to please talk about what's at stake here. Like what, what is really at stake and why should people care so much and educate themselves? You know, it's, that's a, you know, a very uh, difficult question that I think if it was one answer, right, everyone has their sort of perspective. But I think, you know, what Hamas did on October 7th, what it continues to do, um, you know, using its its uh, citizens as, as human shields and, you know, creating this narrative that, you know, the Palestinians are a victim of an occupation and the Israelis are the oppressor. Just finding a space for for uh, a place in your head to uh, sort of drain out the noise. So I would say, you know, it's really important to talk to people you know. So talk to Jewish people, talk to Israeli people, ask them what their life is like, what their what their experiences with anti-Semitism is like, because I think it's very difficult, especially in the tech era we live in, uh, where you have corporate interest in in social media as well as in journalism, it's very hard to find anyone who's reporting the truth, right? Um, and I'm all about coming from the journalism world, finding, you know, unbiased information. So reading Israeli news sources and not foreign news sources, I think is very important. Um, also knowing where you're getting your news from. So when Israel, for instance, is taking strides to remove Al Jazeera from reporting in Israel, 
because I myself, can you can see them just making propaganda, standing in roads, waiting for sirens to go off to give some, you know, anti-Israel rhetoric and reporting things uh, from Hamas, not from the IDF or the, the UN or the Red Cross, as we saw with the very controversial hospital bombing. Uh, Israel just released today, the IDF re released today that from the, uh, the, you know, very calculated mission that it has in the Gaza Strip against Hamas, that from that hospital event, they actually were able to monitor and notice that terrorists were running to the, the Shifa hospital in Gaza. And now they've actually provided satellite imagery showing that Hamas has seven or eight very active tunnel networks under the hospital, mm -hmm. right? So when you hear these sorts of things and see the truth and people are showing you who they are, you have to listen to them. But obviously try to listen to different sides and different types of people, because while this is very polarized in the media, there should be no polarization here at all. Any decent human being who is knowledgeable or wants to become knowledgeable in something wouldn't pick a side unless it was evil versus good. And this is very much my opinion and, and, and most Jewish people's opinions and even Palestinians that I know in Israel, what happened here was evil. And it doesn't just affect Israel. If you look at the university campuses, you know, France has taken a very uh, strict stance of five-year punishment if you're supporting Hamas or, or Palestinian movements that are supporting Hamas in France, because they know what it's like to have teachers' heads cut off for, you know, criticizing something about Islam. And in the United States, you see our, you know, uh, I'm doing quotation marks with my fingers, these, you know, in, institutions, these Ivy League schools, which... I, I had the opportunity to attend one of those schools for a few weeks, and that was in 2007, and the anti-Semitism was through the roof. So none of this is new, this sort of ideological approach and this sort of people wanting to feel like they're in a group, right, and that they're picking the right side of history, right? I don't understand why we're saying the right side of history if history has been very clear about what happens when Jewish people are not autonomous and have ability to defend themselves, and universities begin to talk from emotion and ideology and not from facts or accounts of actually what's happening. Right, right. Very well said. Um, and uh, so to that, so aside from people educating themselves and learning, and that's why I'm doing this series on the podcast, just bringing different voices who have something to say, who have some knowledge, what else can people do to push back against anti-Semitism? I think one, not contributing to just noise, and this is very important. Uh, I would look at, and you know, I work in the high tech se uh, sector in Israel, and we're all very active in not Hezbollah or pushing sort of what is happening in Israel, just sort of showing data and showing what's happening. So our company, for instance, uh, it's similar web works with data. So we're showing a lot of traffic to different websites and, and things like that. But there's certain companies, for instance, in Israel that have exposed that some anywhere between 30 to 40% of social media profiles pushing Palestinian rhetoric are bots and fake. So even just interacting with those things brings more attention to them and is part of this very collected, uh, you know, uh, uh, organized event to push anti-Semitism and anti-Israel sentiment around. So yeah. knowing where you're getting your sources from and, you know, like I said before, talking to people who you might know or people in your community, you know, Palestinian, Jewish, whatever it may be, and yeah. getting their, you know, not take on what's happening per se, but just what's happening right now to them. Start personal and then you can kind of 
each person will sort of introduce you to their communities or or news stations or companies that you can work with or even you know places you could donate or support as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know I've thought about that, the amount of bots out there, the amount of generated videos that just, you know, you can, you can almost, some of them you can almost look at and go, ah, you know, like that one's suspicious. It doesn't take, you don't have to be a tech expert to know that that's a little suspicious. Yeah. And it goes to, it speaks to, which is a perhaps a different avenue that we don't need to necessarily go down uh, that avenue of conversation, but it really speaks to when emotions are high, which they are and they should be, they shouldn't not be high. You know, this is, this is just, such an, uh, this was such an atrocity, so infuriating. And then the narratives that, you know, came off this and, and what have you. Um, but when emotions are so high, we're all vulnerable to just kind of ride some current of emotion and not do what we need to do, which is dig in and learn and, gather real information and you know go to go to trusted and true sources so um so thank you that was that was very helpful and so i wonder if you can say more i know in your background in journalism you were very devoted to accurate reporting and exposing corruption and anti-semitism and just on a both personal, but also a societal note, how did that arise for you? How did you move in that direction in your life? I actually, my life uh, goal and kind of still secretly is to, was to be a judge. I wanted to be a lawyer. And I knew that I wanted to have a background ahead of law school that would allow me to work in communications, which is a field I've studied, uh, but was very passionate about journalism, particularly in a time where there was a need to build up sort of accurate reporting, not just on Israel, but also on the region, um, which there was an effect after that of more and more uh, English uh, or French uh, news stations coming out of Israel, which was very important because we relied on BBC and we relied on CNN and obviously no one would listen to Israeli media and there was no money there. So uh, it was kind of like a, a, a need that I was part in fulfilling um, and was very passionate about and very involved in anyway. And I think is kind of inherently very Israeli right? Uh, what may seem as being defensive or constantly arguing around what's happening here is combating exactly what has been intentional, right? You talked, you just talk, uh, spoke about high emotions, right? And how people, they act in a certain way. Those high emotions exist because of these bots and because of this anti-Semitic agenda that is as old as we know, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's no reason someone who doesn't live in this region or isn't Jewish or doesn't come from a Palestinian background would feel so much towards this conflict that it's not even a conflict, right? And I would point out that I love words and I love the power of words and journalism was, you know, a dying field when I was a journalist, but even now, right, uh, you just kind of think about the, the media in the United States, there's maybe one or two conservative channels, that's a problem, no matter what side you're on, right? That that sort of getting your news from people who get their news from Islamic Jihad and Hamas and publish these, you know, headlines without any responsibility and, and you know, receive what the effect was. Jews not being able to go to school, campuses being closed, increased attacks here in Israel, the West Bank sort of heated up, all because of a report or several reports on something that wasn't accurate. Um, but I would add to that that I also 
in journalism, you get to really listen to people and hear their stories. And there's just so many fascinating stories in Israel and just so much beautiful, you know, survival and, 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 and unity that comes in this country that is just a melting pot of refugees with so many horrific, but also beautiful stories of survival. And we live in a time where, you know, genocide and ethnic cleansing and colonization, all of these are, you know, tragic histories of the Jewish people that the Palestinian movements are now riding on, right? So if we think about when you, if 20, 30 years ago, if you were to talk about genocide in relation to Israel, you would think, okay, there was a genocide of the Jewish people in Europe, but also in the Middle East and refugees as a result of the creation of the state. Now, when you hear genocide, you think of Palestinians. Or when you think of ethnic cleansing, you think of Jews ethnically cleansing, you know, non-Jews. It's crazy where we've gotten to, right? Um, but just this very strong belief, and I think this is important to hold on to, is knowing who you are and what your worth is and what this country means for so many people, and Palestinians as well, right? Like Arabs in Israel and Palestinians in the West Bank, you know, they're quite quiet now because they don't want to see their livelihood change. And right. I would uh, yes, no, and I wanted to go to that because you mentioned earlier people you know who are Palestinian, you know, or Arabs living in uh, Israel, which the latest I heard from my last guest, Ethan, was twenty percent of the population are are Arab Israeli with one hundred percent full rights and all that. So yeah, I would love to hear. Um, a little bit about, in a little bit of time we have left, some of your conversations with your Palestinian friends living in Israel. You just started to say, so, you know, Gaza's got what Gaza's going on, but the West Bank is kind of quiet now. There's, there's, this is important for people to hear. So please say a little more about that. Yeah, just to clarify the West Bank, and when I, I'm referring to the, the people living there, not the militants or the terrorists, right? The, of the, course. Oh, yeah, we should, that's a good, and, yeah. Let's say that. Yeah, uh, the Palestinian authorities' forces have been very active thwarting terror attacks there, several hundred arrests. Uh, so there's definitely uh, challenges from both sides. But I think what people, it's, it's very simple, if, if you really think about it. What happens to Israel, what happens to the Palestinians affects the other side. Palestinians really wanted freedom. If they wanted to, you know, live in two states or one state, they would understand that taking hostages and raping and beheading and killing and, you know, everything that they've been doing and been trying to do will affect them as well, right? So Palestinians in the West Bank who are basically foreign workers, many of them in Israel, can't go to work. Right, security is high. The IDF has to put all of its might and forces around Gaza, but also be present in the West Bank. So there isn't, a, you know, a, a, a willing to risk terrorist attacks in Israel and also Arab Israelis. Right, we have all close to two million Arab Israelis living in Israel. You know, I think if you want to learn about Israel, look up who lives here, what types of people live here. I'm part Jewish and Christian. Right, I have Christian friends and Muslim friends. Israel is the only country that really took in Lebanese Christians, uh, you know, in the 80s, even before. We have Chakedim, we have Druzim, we have Bedouin. Uh, all of these, you know, people coming from some type of conflict or misplacement have found home, democracy, and safety in Israel. And if you look and you dig even uh, further, you'll even see Palestinians risking their life in Gaza to say that they want to be done with Hamas, right? Um, but I have a, a one friend who's Palestinian, he works in Israel, and he, he's uh, 
lives in the West Bank part of the time. His part, his mom is a Palestinian, his dad is Israeli Arab. And, you know, while we don't really talk about the conflict or anything, it was, you know, very shocking to me how much him and his peers don't know about their own histories, mm. right? So I think it's important to look at, you know, people are, are part of agendas and ideology is never a, a good thing when it's one-sided. And, you know, this is, like I said, anything that the Palestinians do to us or us to them affects us in the end, all of us. Um, so toning down the rhetoric and toning down the hatefulness and trying to learn and ask questions as opposed to contributing to large noise, right, and movement around social media isn't helping us or the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. You know, not sure. And I've been thinking about just that because I, it's sort of an interesting wrestling we do with ourselves sometimes. I've seen people who I know post things that are so factually in it. They're so intellectually lazy. They're so uh, trying to be part of a mob. I, I don't even want to guess what's inside their motivation. <laughs> and there's a part of me and listeners, you're hearing this that almost wants to respond with something really snarky and sharp and factual, almost want to shame them. But the better part of me, the wiser part of me, owns that I'm angry and furious and disgusted by some of this, but also knows that discernment is the name of the game right now, where you put your actions, what actions you put forth. And I think you've said twice now, and I think you're so on target when you say, get out of the noise and I'm adding, but this is what you're saying, out of the noise and into a real conversation, whether it's with yourself, whether it's with Jewish people, Palestinian people, all kinds of people, like that's where it's about. And I really feel that that you can we can't overstate that can we yeah. and i mean this this conversation we're having is just exemplary to how you can learn right right and it doesn't even need to be about learning necessarily think about someone who's posted something vile and inaccurate right how much energy and time are you going to put into this person who is probably never going to change their mind right, right? This is propaganda, it's psychological, it's social, it's ethnical, it's religious, it's all of these things. And it's been programmed into people and trained over time. And now when we're talking about people's lives, right? Demonizing or choosing a side, right? Even mm -hmm. the most right wing Israelis that I know do not wish harm on Palestinians, would not rape a Palestinian, would not behead a Palestinian. You don't see Jews going through campuses around the world saying death to Arabs, death to Palestinians. You don't see Jews removing their yarmulkes and their stars of David and their mezuzahs because yes. they're terrified. This right. is where we have to look at the side of good and, and just put our energy into building a better world with good people and good with good things to say. Uh, it's very important, uh, yeah. crucial, not get lost in the world. Yeah. And just, just FYI, there's a really good um, Sam Harris. I don't know if you ever listened to his podcast. He did a really uh, strong piece about this. He called it the sin of moral equivalency because, you know, we saw that come up. But um, I digress. Um, Nakshon, is there anything else you would like to say, like to share with listeners before we close out? This has been so great. And I just want to give you time to share any other thoughts? I just say if, if 
if you're still conflicted even after listening listening to this just you know pick someone like me who you know from philadelphia i, I you know grew up in the false secret system i'm half christian i'm half jewish it's not not a bone in my body that's evil i would never associate myself with a place that's evil right so when you see evil it is important to, to speak out one of my hobbies of late, which I feel like is a productive way of letting things out, but also being productive, is to report anti-Semitism. So there's organizations that are, you know, see people, you know, siding with Hamas or pulling off posters of kidnapped babies, and then, you know, we report them to their employers and they get fired. And this is sort of a, you know, th the Jewish people are strong people. Israel is a strong nation. People should be scared of us, right? But they're not. And I don't mean that in an aggressive way. I mean, and we have nothing else and nowhere else to go. This is it, right? And we've seen what the world is capable of. Now we can speak out. So maybe you can use tech for the better. Or maybe if you see someone doing something terribly anti-Semitic, you might just say something or maybe just report them, right? Don't have, you know, a, an apathetic approach to what's happening right now, because this is very much starting with Israel, but could go on to other places as we see. And it's important to stay level-headed and, you know, sort of productive in, in our activism or in our expression of our emotions and communicating with people, but also to put, you know, what we say, like a red line of this can't be crossed. We don't let this happen anymore, right? We don't let academia push Jews out. We saw that, you know, 80 years ago, 75, 80 years ago, what the result was, right? Um, that would, I would just encourage people to feel safe in, in, in places that they know are true and necessary. So speaking up against anti-Semitism is necessary, right? That shouldn't be a question even, but being safe and not allowing ourselves to get too lost in our heads and in other people's anger and violence. And on that note, I wanna thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience. Um, and um, I wish that you continue to stay safe and that your message and your level-headedness and your willingness to talk and converse continue to be received exponentially. Thank you Thank so you. much, Nakshan. Thanks, it was great meeting you and uh, uh, after so many years and speaking to you and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for caring about Israel. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving it a review on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can review it. Share it. Send episodes to friends who might be interested. I want to grow this podcast, and yes, I do need your help to do it. Keep being the bright spark that you are. Take care.